Hello. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Tonight, we're going to take a bit of a detour, if you will. We're gonna we're gonna travel down memory lane and head to the beach, cause it's Shark Week. And anytime I detour, I usually do a road trip with the panda. Yeah, that's it. Why do you call it a detour? I don't call the beach a detour. Well, I mean, I guess not a bad thing. I mean, it's tonight. We're not going to talk about anything paranormal or cursed, but we are going to talk about horror, real horror, real horror. Correct. So, in case you don't know, it's actually Shark Week. So, can't ground me in Shark Week. That's right. How does Shark Week and where the dark corners? are tied together? Well, as it happens, 105 years ago, a series of shark attacks changed America and her views on sharks. And it becomes the catalyst for a 1975 movie that basically scares the shit out of moviegoers and beachgoers. I am, of course, referring to the movie Jaws. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you watch that movie and you you literally are afraid of the water. That's, I think, where the initial fear of sharks comes from is because of Steven Spielberg. Correct. I think he's the reason why people fear the beach, just have that unnecessary fear of going in the water for no reason. Because their parents and their grandparents watch this movie, you know, and show their kids, and you just, you know, it just comes word to mouth that, hey, there might be a shark in there, and then it becomes a reality of, like, oh, fuck, there might be a shark in there. Well, believe it or not, after he was done filming the movie, he was asked whether or not he wanted to go on vacation in Hawaii, and he was like, uh, the sharks know what I've done, so I'm <laughs> not going anywhere near a beach. So he was aware of what he did, you know, in right. terms of scaring the shit out of the whole world, literally. But like I said, this incident back in 1916 is basically what becomes Peter Benchley's novel, which becomes Spielberg's movie, which becomes one of America's biggest fears, what's in the water. So let's go back to July of 1916. It was, as it is today, an incredibly hot summer, especially in New Jersey, in the New Jersey area, and believe it or not, America was actually dealing with a polio pandemic, kind of like what we're kind of dealing with the COVID. It's kind of ironic how some of these things kind of 
come in circles like this. Right. So people were definitely itching to get out to do something, do something fun. And they didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. Well, I mean, I'm not even sure at what how many percentage of Americans even had electricity at this point in time. So we're talking a whole different mentality. And one of the fun and free and cheap things to do, of course, and still is now, is to go to the beach. To go to the beach, go to the river, go hang out with your gal pals or your best fuds, and basically go swimming. So prior to July of 1916, it was widely believed in the science community that sharks were relatively benign. There weren't any problems with them. They didn't engage. And they basically kind of thought that sharks were a little more than large but unintelligent fish with obviously very big teeth. And more importantly, at this point in time, it seemed like they did everything they could to avoid humans. So... We're not talking a very well-developed marine science, a shark biologist science. It wasn't as popular as an idea to study a shark. Correct. And why would they? They were working on far more important things, I'm sure, 1916. And plus two, you know, in Europe, they're gearing up for war. So they have a lot of things. Are they not in war yet? The United States? Well, not the United States, but Europe anyways. I think they're in war. I think they're already in okay, war. Okay, maybe they are already in war. But either way, so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of good things going on. But for our story, for our Shark Week episode, like I said before, it was unusually hot in July of 1916, and a gentleman by the name of Charles Van Sant, who was from Philadelphia, comes to Beach Haven, which was a resort town established on Long Beach Island. And uh, anyone who knows Long Beach Island knows it's on the southern coast of New Jersey. He is accompanied by his father, his mother, two sisters, and they all stay at the Ingleside Hotel. They, and believe it or not, they actually come to Beach Haven to celebrate Independence Day. Though they do arrive a few days early. They, they, they arrive on July 1st. And just after sunset, he looks out into the ocean, and Charles is like, that looks really like I need to take a dip. So he jumps into the water. He swims about 50 yards from shore into basically chest-deep waters. And he turns around and he starts calling his dog to come join him in the water. And while he's distracted calling his dog, he fails to see what other people are seeing. And they're seeing a dark shape lingering in the water around him. So people do their best to try and warn Charles, but he basically ignores them. He's focused on his dog. You know, his dog's probably named Pippin. If you guys know what that is, 10 points to you. Anyways, and then, as he's calling his dog, ignoring the warnings, the nastiest crunch in the world is heard. Charles goes from calling his dog into the water to screaming in agony and absolute horror because he's been bit. Now, the on-duty lifeguard, who was actually a friend of Charles, his name was Alexander Ott. He rushes into the water along with a bystander by the name of Sheridan Taylor. As they pull Charles to shore, Sheridan claims the shark kept his jaws on Charles as they're pulling. So they're basically fighting this mm-hmm. shark to get Charles to safety. I mean, can you imagine? This I guy's not even getting paid a lot. This guy not even getting paid. No, the bystander's not like... He's, like, trying to be a good guy. Right. So 
as they're pulling into safety, Jaws basically keeps his clamp jaw shut on poor Charles and to the point where the shark actually begins to scrape his underbelly because this is how far they've pulled Charles. So they're pulling him, so I mean, it's like he's got to be far. I don't know. I mean. Right, but I mean, he hold, the the shark holds on to the point where he basically almost gets beached. Well, so, so it's, it's so he's in the water calling for his dog. Correct. He, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how far he really is from the beach. Right. Because... I think it sounds like you get there pretty quickly, and the the shark doesn't. I don't know. I don't know what the shark's tactic is when you eat somebody. Right, 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 right. So I don't. I don't know if they squirrel, you know, squirrel around like a, like a crocodile, or they try to drag him into the deeper water, or what the or what was happening. But, right. I mean, are, are they in the water with? I mean, he's, I'm assuming he's on the water by himself. No, he's probably surrounded by a bunch of people. He's just the unfortunate guy. Okay. So, like I said. The shark's not letting go. They're pulling. And once on shore, they see that Charles is actually missing a leg. And he's missing part of his other leg. So the shark got some good. And Otto, using the skirt from another beachgoer, he basically does his best to make a tourniquet. And Charles's dad, who is a nose and throat physician, along with a medical student, began attending to him. They take him immediately to the Ingleside Hotel they prop him up on the manager's desks to attend to him, but he basically ends up bleeding to death and dies on July 1st at 6.45 p.m. Now, despite this horrifying incident and despite the fact that there is an increase of sightings of large sharks swimming off the coast of New Jersey, being reported, especially by sea captains, entering the ports of Newark and New York City, the beaches along the Jersey Shore remain open. Again, because it's the 4th of July weekend, and just like the movie, it's literally their cash cow weekend. They can't close the beach. Or just like the movie. Exactly. The, the, the small business owners, they, they can't afford to do this because this is their time. This is their summer, and that's what they're here for. Correct. To make their money. If they don't make their money, they're not going to survive the winter, basically. Right. Or Amityville. But right. it's same, the same thing here. So, despite the fact that there's an increase in shark sightings, the beaches stay open. And while Charles's attack does make it into the newspaper, the hotel owners, again, not wanting to lose any business by closing down the beach, decide to actually put up a safety net of 300 feet from the shoreline. So, they actually kind of respond to this. But well, in this the movie, is- too, they respond with... Cops and helicopters. And right. The lifeguards. The lifeguards, you know, now they're ready for it, but right. no one's ready for it. So, of course, naturally, just like the movie, people of authority start downplaying the accident. Okay. They even start rumors or theories that the shark basically just got distracted and was led astray because of the warm water, because remember, it was hot. And it was not only a small shark that had drifted into high water, it was basically marooned by the tide. And because of this, it was probably hungry. And, you know, guys, sharks don't go after humans. His Just got to eat. This, well, but they're, they're shark trying to. Shark got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> but they're trying to promote the fact that you never in the history as a shark attacked man, we think his dog was the original target. So they basically try to you know, drum up this bullshit story of it was a terrible accident on the shark's part. He probably won't ever do it again. 
Either way, five days later, on July 6, 1916, at the resort town of Spring Lake, and again, New Jersey, which is located about 45 miles north of Beach Haven, is attack number two. This victim, like the last victim, was also named Charles, Charles Bruder. Okay? Unlucky Chucky number two was a 27-year-old Swiss man, and he was actually a bellhop for the Essex and the Sussex Hotel in the area. Now, he enters the water. He swims about 130 yards from shore, and bam, crunch time. He gets attacked. The shark actually bites him in the abdomen and ends up severing both of his legs. Nice. Now, witnesses even claimed that they saw his body, like, being tossed in the air, like, you know. Like, like, shark week shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, at this point in time, the guy is basically bit in half, and the water runs literally red with Broder's blood. Obviously, Charles is screaming for his life, and a woman who hears him is like, hey, uh, lifeguards, um, there's a guy out there with a canoe with a red hole that has capsized. And she doesn't realize the red in the ocean is his blood. She thinks it's a canoe. So the lifeguards get their own canoe. They paddle out to him, and they reach in to grab him. And they're like, this guy's kind of easy to lift. And that's when they realize his legs below, you know, his waist and stuff. It, it, I mean, the man is cut in half, basically. So they, too, take him. They head to shore, but it's too late. Unlucky Chucky number two goes into shock and dies as they make their way to the shoreline. So, I mean, he basically dies in the water being rescued. Right. Now, he's actually surrounded by a lot of people. They actually saw half of his eaten body and people seriously begin to panic. Women are, are, are having panic attacks. They're fainting. Other people are vomiting as they see his half-eaten body. And it, it's just chaos. Now, a side note, like I said before, unlucky Chucky number two was Swiss. And because he worked as a bellhop, the guests at the hotels that he had worked for and the neighboring hotels actually end up raising money for Broder's mother and they send it to her in Switzerland. So, I mean, pretty decent for an unfortunate situation. Now, at this point in time, you have two attacks, five days apart. Authorities and the science community can't really continue to bullshit the public. And on July 8th, 1916, the scientists and the medical doctors host a news conference following this attack. Now, Despite the obvious, some experts still generally refuse to believe that a shark is actually responsible for this. I mean, even to the point where John Treadwell Nichols, who was the assistant curator of the Department of Recent Fishes of a Museum, he even examines Charles Bruder's body, and he's like, it was an orca, a killer whale, who was responsible for this attack. They, they are pretty dangerous, though, to be fair. Yeah, whales are pretty bad. There should be whale week. I'm just saying. Whale, no, orca. Killer whale. Okay, that's what I'm saying. There should be a whale week. Well, killer whales are pretty, they pretty. They stand by their name. Have you ever seen eat a seal? Uh, they toss those babies in the Yeah, they too. fucking toss those things. Yeah. Those, those guys don't fuck around. So they're just as bad. They're worse than sharks, I would, I would imagine. Regardless, 
an okra in Jersey or wherever this is at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, this the whole notion that this is the sh- either they're really doing their best to downplay this or they're really just ignorant of the capabilities of a shark. Other scientists begin to advocate that it's not a shark because sharks don't attack people and they even start suggesting other ridiculous potential reasons like a killer mackerel, you know, a large sea turtle, or even a German U-boat was, you know. I mean, that one might maybe get snagged a little bit. I don't think so, no. But essentially, they're just not willing to admit that this is a shark. They're willing to stand by the fact that sharks don't eat people. People don't want the truth. People want answers. So they'll they'll take whatever's given to them. So well, why give them tw- why give them the truth when you have twenty answers and, and then they can choose from there. For this though, okay, obviously panic begins to grow, and it ends up costing the New Jersey resort owners an estimate of. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen sixteen money. That's okay. a lot. That it is. In fact, it in twenty twenty it translates to almost six million dollars in lost revenue, in lost tourism, and sunbathing declines by seventy five percent in some of these areas. Again, by July eighth, there people are responding. They now have armed motorboats beginning to patrol the beaches. And basically, a slaughter of sharks begin. Oh, They're like, we're hunt. killing fucking everything. And we're talking, these armed motorboatists are armed with something as simple as oars to dynamite, just like in the movie Jaws. And throwing dynamite. Yeah. Correct. And obviously, to help fuel this slaughter is offers of cash rewards. They want the animal, the man-eater dead. They want... You know, their summer back. Just okay. like the movie. This is, I mean, it sounds exactly, exactly like the movie. In fact, uh, Matawanan Mayor Arius B. Henderson orders the Matawanan Journal to print wanted posters offering a $100 reward, which would equate to $2,420. So, I mean, we're talking a shit ton of money to anyone who would kill the shark. Mm-hmm. So, despite everyone's best efforts, the slaughter is going on. In fact, this situation even reaches the House of Representatives, who appropriates $5,000, which is equivalent to $120,020, to eradicate the shark. So, I mean, they're paying people. Even President Woodrow Wilson is scheduling cabinet meetings to discuss these attacks. I mean, this is how big... We're just talking two shark attacks. Well, it's it's like... um. You know, a mass murder for the first time. No one expected this mass murder to happen. Right. So now you're not prepared or trained for this kind of thing. So This is true. So hundreds of sharks are captured on the East Coast as a result of the tax. And like I said, it's just, it is literally described as the largest scale animal hunt in the history up to this point. Damn, that sucks. Yes. So despite the insane slaughter... On July 12th, it all literally comes to a head four days later. And again, this all comes to a head in Matawan Creek, which is located in Matawan, New Jersey. So this is all basically surrounding the New Jersey area. Now, to be clear, I literally just said creek as in freshwater. And this creek, which is located 11 miles inland and away from the ocean, 
So when Thomas Cottrell, who is a sea captain and a Matawanan resident, sees an eight-foot-long shark in the creek, he literally bolts it to town, and he is telling everybody, there's a shark in the creek, there's a shark in the creek. But people aren't really buying it because the creek is freshwater. And unfortunately, as he's doing this, he just misses a group of boys who worked at the local basket factory heading to the creek to go skinny dipping to cool down. So at approximately 2 p.m., this group of local boys include a young 11-year-old by the name of Lester Stilwell. Now, he was an apprentice at the basket factory, and he's just, you know, playing with his friends in the creek. One of the boys brought along his pet dog, and, you know, even the dog's enjoying the creek. And they see what they believe is either an old, black, weather-beaten board or a weathered log. And it's not until they see the shark's dorsal fin actually break the The surface surface of the water do they realize it is a shark. So in a panic, of course, the boys rush for the shore, and it's Lester who gets snatched, and he literally gets dragged into the water and right in front of all of his 11-year-old friends. And, I mean, this is just absolutely a, night, a living nightmare. The kids literally run naked in the town because they went skinny dipping. They run naked into town, screaming, crying, telling everybody that Lester was eaten by a shark. And the town folk actually rush to the creek and they begin looking for Lester. But some of them are still like, he probably just had an epileptic seizure. There was no shark. So, I mean, people are in denial. I mean, if a naked kid comes running to me saying, you know, Lester got eaten by a shark, the virtue of his state, his physical state, would tell me he's panicking about something legitimate. Well, I mean, like you said, a freshwater shark... This far inland, and like you said, you know, sharks wasn't a thing. Even with the news of that happening in the East Coast, you you think to yourself, nah, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I get it. But still, either way, the town folks run down to the creek, and one of the town folks is a business owner by the name of Watson Stanley Fisher. Fisher is a young man. He's 24 years old, and he's actually a local tailor. Like everybody else, he's looking to help Lester. He's looking for his body. He's looking to see if they could save him. Fisher dives into the creek to find Stillwell. And as Fisher actually finds Lester's body, and as he's pulling him to shore, the shark attacks Fisher literally right in front of the town folk. It's kind of like that moment where Samuel Jackson is screaming and yelling at people. Oh, in deep blue sea. And the, the this, shark yeah, just... Jumps up, snatches him, and brings him back in the water. Correct. So this literally happens to Fisher oh. right in front of everybody. And the shark pulls him under and just attacks him repeatedly, just going after him. Fisher you know, starts fighting back, and he's frantically pummeling the shark with his fists and trying to get the fish. And even people are heading in their direction with, in their rowboats, and they're beating the shark with the oars. To, and finally, the shark lets go. Fisher gets to the shore, and they see that the meat of his leg was basically gnawed down to the bone. Mm-hmm. And so they load him up to the train, and unfortunately, two hours later... He bleeds to death at Mammoth Memorial Hospital in Long Beach at 5.30 p.m. So, here you have a dead boy 
and you now you have a dead man and you still have a shark officially in fresh water. So obviously during the attack, Fisher loses Stillwell's body because I mean, he had other priorities punching a goddamn shark in the face. Right. And obviously it's understandable, but Stillwell's body does actually eventually become recovered upstream on July 14th, a couple days later. Now, but still on this day, just 30 minutes after Fisher's attack, a 14-year-old boy by the name of Joseph Dunn, who probably had no knowledge of Lester and Fisher's demise, is literally swimming downstream at Matawan Creek. So he's there. He's with his brother, some friends, and he is, you know, he's standing on the dock ladder when he feels a tug on his leg. And, you know, he's like, what is that? And his brother and his friend begin pulling him up. And, you know, Joseph's trying to get up off the ladder. And it's basically a tug of war between the kids and the shark. They eventually get him up into safety. And, you know, Joseph's leg is bleeding profusely. But since the shark actually doesn't sever any major arteries in this attack, Joseph, this 14-year-old kid, actually lives. He is actually taken to St. Peter's University Hospital in New Brunswick where he does recover from the bite and is released from the hospital on September 15, 1916. So basically two months later, this poor kid, well, he survives, but... The first first survived shark attack. Right. Good for that guy. So obviously this is just doing nothing but fueling this mass hysteria and the shark slaughter. Ships go into the ocean armed with rifles, harpoon guns, axes, orcas. Or- or- <laughs> <laughs> they breed their own whales. Yeah. Oars. <laughs> I meant oars. And again with the dynamite. And people were actually even bringing sheep guts to kind of lure the sharks to them. Mm-hmm. So, ba- I mean, even in the movie, remember they had the yeah, two they guys? Had, had the- they had the guts. They had that. Sorry, no, the had- pot roast. His wife's pot roast. So they're doing everything they can to draw this, this man this eater beast. This, correct. And on July fourteenth, a taxidermist who's also a naturalist and supposedly a lion tamer, Michael Schleiser, and his friend John Maury. Mike and John. Yeah, Mike and John. Fine. They're merely fishing in Rotarian Bay. Now, Rotarian Bay is only a few miles from the mouth of Matawan Creek. Anywho, as they're fishing, their boat actually gets rammed by a shark, and the fight is on. They're not even there to pick a fight with the goddamn thing. He picks a fight with them. And during the struggle, the shark nearly sinks Mike's boat. And what they end up doing is they end up luring the shark into the shallow waters. And at that point in time, Mike, using the only thing he had... To kill the shark is basically beating him with an oar that gets broken. And then he begins to beat the fucking shark with the oh, broken oar. Stabbing this motherfucker. Right. So basically, I mean, he uses what he's got because he wasn't prepared. Right. And. Well, no one's prepared to fight a shark. No. I mean, if you are, then you're <laughs> no. clearly in some profession I've never heard of. <laughs> and after he kills the shark, Mike opens, slices open the shark's belly. And he removes, and I'm going to quote this. Suspicious 
fleshy material and bones, and it took up two-thirds of a milk crate and together weighed 15 pounds. So they, he thinks, yes, this is the guy. I mean, but the guy, the shark did attack them. So, I mean, they kind of got some obvious red flags that this is the guy. Right. This is this the shark, the animal. Right. Now, the shark gets examined by some scientists. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, we're not talking marine biologists or shark biologists. The sharks identify. The sharks identify? <laughs> what do they identify? The scientists identify the shark as a young, great white. Nice. And they confirm the ingested remains as human. So they're like, we got him. Mike's like, I got him. You're welcome. And he mounts the shark and places it on display in the window of a Manhattan shop on Broadway. I mean, there was pictures and stuff, and they actually lose the mounted shark. So I don't know how you lose a shark, but... They do. I decay and people. Well, it's been 105 years, so. Either way, it's over. Whether or not Mike got the right one, there are no more shark attacks reported along the Jersey Shore in the summer of 1916. Until they make three more movies. (laughs) Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water. Again. And... Obviously, today, they still debate this incident, and now with greater understanding and knowledge of sharks, some argue that it was probably a sick bull shark because bull sharks are one of the few sharks that could actually exist in freshwater creeks connected to the ocean. And curious enough, scientists believe now that when a shark attacks a human, it's because they believe the shark is actually just curious. Like, what is this? Let me find out. Let me nibble. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because that is literally the only way sharks learn about their environment is by biting things. I mean, it's just like a puppy. You know what I mean? Oh, that wasn't a good thing, or that was really tasty. And they do. They bite rocks. They bite cages. They ram cages while you're in a trip and with your kids in Hawaii, as we both know. But they eat trash. They bite boats. They bite surfboards. And, yes, they do, they do bite humans. And, unfortunately, their bite does tend to be, obviously, excruciating, painful, and, in some cases, fatal. Or just soft. Right. Right. We're, right. Right. We're squishy. Squishy, yeah. <laughs> so... Here, this horrible incident, this two-day or two-week scenario, you know, just is a nightmare. But it is also, obviously, the basis for Peter Benchley's 1974 novel, Jaws. And, again, it's your basic novel about a rogue great white shark that terrorizes the fictional Long Island, what a coincidence there, coastal community of Amneville. And, you know, Chief of Police Martin Brody you know, brooder, um, biologist Matt Hooper, and fisherman Quint hunt the shark after it kills four people. Right. You know, I guess in the book, so like, you know, they, they don't want to close the businesses. So allegedly in the book, the mafia is the one who owns most of the businesses and stuff. So they tell the mayor, you know, you can't close this because that's our profit right there. Right. 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 You can see the author in the movie, I guess. I guess he plays the... The reporter. I think I read that somewhere, yeah. yeah. That's the only tidbits I know. Right. But again, you know, there's, I mean, it's obvious that this incident is 
direct correlation to Jaws. It, I mean, well, to the book, to, into the from the book to the movie, right? I mean, we're we're talking even the weekend, all of the start, which is the Fourth of July weekend, and after the death of two swimmers and a fisherman, you know, it's like right, and there's a sixty year different sixty year gap between the actual incident or the actual, or sorry, the alleged events and the movie, right? So, and in fact, even in the movie, Martin Brody. He says, hey, don't you remember? This has happened before, the Jersey Beach, 1960, oh, five people got chewed up on the surf. Right, he, he goes on the research spree. Right. And he, so he looks up all the shark attacks, which, I mean. So he's familiar. He mm-hmm. knows this isn't. But, I mean. I mean, so it's canon. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, this is the horrific story, the true story, that launches, you know, America's fear of sharks back in 1916, but Peter Benchley, you know, takes this story on a new level, but it's Steven Spielberg that... Brings it to life. Correct. On the big screen and blows it up, literally. Oh, he's clever. I mean, the the shark's only in the movie for, like, like five minutes, something weird. It's like, the shark itself is not, like, in the movie a lot. No, he the shark itself, you don't actually see the shark until an hour and 20 minutes into the film. And that is how well Steven Spielberg made this movie. I mean, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. I want to say people who were in the audience in 1975 when the movie was released. I mean, I wasn't even born yet, okay? People were vomiting. People were having, like, panic attacks in the movie on dry land. Yeah. Okay? I believe it. Now, a couple other tidbits, um, you know, part of the reason why the shark doesn't come into an hour and 20 minutes into the movie is because they had nothing but problems with the mechanics of Bruce. That's what... The shark. Right. That's what Stephen called it. He called him Bruce. But they actually had three sharks, and it was like, which, you know, which Bruce is going to work for me today kind of scenario. Right. So, I mean, even... So, like, you know, when they're having the whole big chase scene... I guess towards the the second half of the movie, when they're with Quint Hooper and Brody, they're on the boat. You know, they shoot the red, the yellow barrels. Right. The you don't oxygen. even see the shark. Right. You just see the barrel, and you have no, not the oxygen tank. I'm talking about the barrels. Okay. You know, they're chasing them. Right. So they hook them with the spear. Right, 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 right. You don't see the shark the whole time, but you know if you see the yellow barrel, you're fucked. Right. Right. So I mean, it's just a it's just a clever way of putting that like, oh, I don't need the shark. I just need you to think the shark's there. Correct. Correct. Give you that anxiety. Right. Now, another interesting tidbit. It has been said that Roy Schroeder, who um, played Martin Brody, Mm -hmm. he improvised the line, you're going to need a bigger boat. I I did hear that one. Well, I also heard the, what was it, Quint's Annapolis story. Right. Heard that that's not supposed to be in the movie, or at least it wasn't supposed to be as long. Right. His monologue scene. Right. It, and it's interesting because these three gentlemen are so distinctive in their character. I mean, they wouldn't be friends later in life had, won't give it away, everyone made it, basically. No, not everyone made it. Quentin didn't make it. Hashtag spoilers. I was going to say that. It, the movie's been out for <laughs> the, the mouth well, of the almost shark. Almost 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather the shark just take me. Okay. So great movie. Unfortunately, it's based on actual events. I and I guess I don't really remember the sequels, which I guess is kind of a good thing. They weren't that great. I don't think I showed you the sequels. 
I I watched the sequels. I forget where I was at, but they had a marathon of all the Jaws. And so I watched. I think it must have been Shark Week because for AMC because they showed all the Jaws movies. But the only one I remember is the. Oh, I guess I remember the two of them. The Dennis Quaid one. I think he has Jaws three, mm-hmm. where they're at the the aquatic, um, not the aquarium. Well, it's like an aquarium, but it's a it's a sanctuary. Okay. So they raise the animals back up to health, and then they let them go. Well, the, the shark came and started eating those animals. So like, what the fuck's going on? But they would have aquatic events on this. So they would do movies on the water and stuff. Mm-hmm. People were dying. So I, I don't remember if Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid makes it, but I'm pretty sure he does. But then I remember Jaws Revenge. And I guess that was the next highest rated Jaws movie. I mean, it wasn't the, uh, it still wasn't that great. But they're in like Hawaii or something. Mm-hmm. And it's the wife of Sheriff Brody and then Michael. The son. The son. Right. But I think her other son is, gets eaten by the shark. Uh. I think that's what it is. So I think they go they go there to, to hunt the shark. So that's why it's called Jaws Revenge. Like they're going to get revenge on the shark. And then if I go Michael Caine is in it. And right. he, and he like totally just swoops in on Sheriff Brody's wife. Well, I mean he's dead in the movie. I think he's dead already in real life by that time. But still, the hell, Michael Caine. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> Taking Brody's girl. Right. Can you do the theme song? Doing it. Doing it. Da-da-da. No, just Not kidding. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I, I can't do it. It was done. 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 That dude's dead. Yes. I mean, I was expecting that your your origin story to turn to like a Lake Placid kind of thing. Right. Lake Pl- I don't know if the rest of the people have seen Lake Placid. And that's a cult classic too, by the way. It is. As I would say it's big as Jaws. I literally watched that movie about a month ago. Did you? Yes. I remember I used to watch that all the time. That's a great movie. Yes. I mean, I don't know if it holds up now, but... Betty I'm White's sure. in it. Betty White's in it. She rocks. Was it, it Bill Pullman? Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman and that that big guy, not Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's, he's Moody, Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, Mad Eye Moody's in it. He's mm-hmm. the he's a badass. Yeah, he shoots the motherfucker. Yeah, he's the sheriff. Hashtag spoilers. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, the, the twist I thought was gonna happen is what the twist that happens at the end. Okay, you got. I gotta say it, but because this movie's been out since I was born, mm-hmm. ninety five, around right. there. Okay. So you know, you know, they ki- they capture. They either kill or capture the first crocodile. I think they capture it. They finally poison it. They they risk the cow's life, whatever. Yeah, you get stuck in the helicopter. Right. Yes. And then the fucking they're like, is I don't think they realize. You know, I forget what happened. I don't know if they go like, oh, this isn't the one, or just you know, just happens to be there's another fucking nut, crocodile or there alligator. You there you go. And they're like, oh shit. <laughs> and then shit goes wrong again for a quick second, and they blow that bitch up. So it was very. You know, that's a, that's the theme. That's not where the twist was going to come. Because you like, you know, they cut open the shark and they find the remains. So just like Jaws, you know, they they find that other shark and they cut it open and all they find is the license plate and some garbage. Right. So it wasn't the shark. So I thought there was going to be another shark. But I mean, real life is just isn't that cool, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I think Jaws really just was the shit. Right. It's. I mean, it's it's a good movie. Even I mean, you're. A lot of people aren't going to be scared by it, I guess. And that's the thing is, like, it's you. Know, every time you go swimming, you I have mean, that spe- especially up here, especially up here. You know, you just have that weird subconscious feeling that something's in the water, and that's what you know. 
And I think that's always been a subconscious thing for everybody, but this is the first time it's been brought to life to be like, oh, fuck, there might something be in there. And then, you know, it's reality. It's like, oh, shit. Okay. All right, on to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> Boss Poké. Uh, Where the Dark Corners Are has a Facebook page, and if you are interested or curious, send me a request. And in the meantime, if you have a specific place or a specific true story in mind that you'd like to hear about further details, send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Panda? Don't go in the water. <laughs> Enjoy your summer. All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Peace.